0: Hey, so let's just check this out. This morning we're going to kind of bounce a little bit between Philippians and the book of Acts as we introduce this and take a peek at it. And so let's check out what it says here in Philippians chapter 1. We'll read the first six verses. It says this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Just Paul's little introduction here. And you know I was thinking about this. Have you ever Well, let me ask you this as we begin to look at this letter to this church in Philippi. Where were you at and what was happening in your life 10 years ago? If you were just to stop for a moment this morning and say, where was I at? Spiritually, family life, all that kind of stuff 10 years ago. And it's kind of just amazing to consider how life changes over a span of time like that. Like I was thinking about my family, you know, 10 years ago. Isabella's is two. She was wearing squeaky shoes and running around this church, squeak 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 squeak, 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 squeak everywhere she went. Right? You know, Eli was obsessed with pirates. Uh, the years have gone by now. Jonas surpassed me in terms of height. You know, he's got an inch on me. And in terms of family life, things change a lot over a period. Of 10 years and and the same is true spiritually if I think about my life or I think about our church or you think about your life where things were 10 years ago with Jesus and where you're at now you say wow you know it's like cool just to consider life over a period of time and some of the amazing things that the Lord has done and some of the hard things some of the good things some of the things that were out of our control in our control but all in all. Like Jesus is sought to be glorified in each one of our lives and in our church over a period of time like that. And it's funny because we read the the first few verses of of this letter that Paul is writing. And we can see this is an established church. He says to all the saints, to the overseers, to the deacons. He's identifying this is a body like our body. I mean we don't know how how big it was. But there were overseers. There were deacons. There was a servant leadership team. You know, the the church had staff. They were organized. They were functional. But it was just 10 years earlier, 10 years earlier that Paul had come into the city of Philippi. He had Silas with him. He had Luke with him. He had Timothy with him. And they came for the first time into the city of Philippi and they began to, to preach the gospel and and when they came into the cities, as we're going to see, there, w- there wasn't even a synagogue there. They couldn't even find 10 Jewish men in that city. But in that city, they began to just share Jesus, and people had gotten saved. Jesus had been preached. A church got planted. And now 10 years later, Paul's writing this letter, and he's like, with joy, I write this letter as I think about the history of the last 10 years. And it's really cool because Acts chapter 16 I'm going to get you to turn there in your Bibles. Acts chapter 16 tells us the story of of the birth of this church and the work that happened and how everything got started and how they got uh, to this point. And, And we're going to take a peek at this in a moment. But you know, this letter written to the Philippians was actually written from prison. While Paul is writing this letter, he's sitting in a prison in the Roman capital, in Ro- he's in Rome, in prison, writing this letter. And it's interesting because as we're going to see here, Philippi always seemed to be this place for Paul, a place of prison and a place of praise. And, you know, some of the big themes that are, that are born in Philippians are born of Paul's experience with prison and his experience with praise. And as we're going to see as we go through the, the, this book over the next number of weeks that you know, Paul's not really, it's kind of different than some of his other writings. He's not dressing, addressing, you know, any one big theological issue. Paul is writing to a church to thank them for their love, to thank them for their support. And he's going to touch down on some themes as he does. And, and, and in Christ, Paul had learned this, and he's going to talk about it, that he could triumph over circumstance, you know, he had learned, as he said in verse 6, that, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. These were prison lessons for Paul. Uh, the, the spiritual school of the slammer, <laughs> where he had learned some of these lessons. And there Paul learned that in, that in Christ we triumph over circumstance, that there can be joy in the midst of trial when we have the mind of Christ and our, and our hearts and minds are set on Jesus, and so I, I would say, as we begin into the book of Philippians, we're going to see the mind of Christ, joy are our big themes in the book of Philippians. You know, Christian life's to be a joyful life, a joyful life. You know, sometimes people just seem to equate Christianity with with boredom. You've heard the old reference, the frozen chosen, right? It's just like, wow, those Christians are so boring and so lame. But the idea that true spirituality is to be, you know, equated with being miserable is just not biblical. It's, it's not what the Bible teaches. It's contrary to the word of God. In fact, you know, the nature of Jesus was such that people loved him. They loved to be around him. The joy that Jesus had was contagious. And that's what the Christian life is, is supposed to be. And, and, and Paul had joy, and as we're going to see, It was in spite of his own personal circumstance because his mind was set on the kingdom, man. His mind was set on Christ. He had the mind of Christ. And so as we begin to just look at this New Testament letter, I always love to do this at the start of a book is just get that sense of context and culture and what was going on and how this whole letter developed and the history and the context that led to this work of the spirit in Philippi, like why Philippi? Why this city? How did Paul and the team get there? How did God lead them there? How did it all start? What was the importance of that city? And discover and to discover that we, we have to go to Acts chapter 16. And so as we as we turn to as you turn to Acts this is, we know this about the book of Acts, that the book of Acts accounts for us the acts of the apostles. This is, this is the history lesson on the first century church, and we love the book of Acts because Acts is significant because it reveals to us the impact and the power of those who live the Spirit-filled life, who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, the church that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, and the impact that it has on communities and, and on the world. And, and when we look at the book of Acts and we see the dynamic of the Holy Spirit-empowered life, you know, we think of some of the great chapters of Acts. What are they? Acts chapter 2, right? Pentecost. Acts chapter 7, Stephen, who was just so bold and he preached the gospel and was the first martyr of the church. Or we think of maybe Acts chapter 9 is one of the great chapters of of that book where where Saul's conversion happens dramatically on the road to Damascus. And, and so there's these incredible chapters in the book of Acts that tell us history of the church. But one of them that sometimes is really often overlooked is the one that sets up Acts chapter 16. It's Acts 15. And I'm gonna give you a quick snippet of it. And it's this in Acts chapter 15. It's such an important chapter because the entire future of the church. And the purity of the gospel was at stake. As you come to Acts chapter 15, you see the apostles, including now Paul, were about the work of the ministry. They were, they were preaching Jesus. They were planting churches. Paul and Barnabas had uh, were just wrapping up really their first missionary journey, the first official missionary journey, and the preaching of the gospel. And for the first time... In dangerous fashion, there were those who would begin to creep into the church. They were called Judaizers. And those Judaizers had infiltrated the church and they were preaching a different gospel than that of Paul and Silas and Peter and John and the whole crew. They taught this. They taught that if a Jew became a follower of Jesus, then they were a completed Jew, but they weren't to let go of history and tradition and all that they had. And they taught this, that if a Gentile came to faith in Jesus, then, then he must add to his faith in Jesus certain aspects of Jewish religious tradition. Like, like your diet had to change. You know, if you're a Gentile and then you follow Jesus, then your diet has to change and you got to eat kosher like a Jew. And you got to practice certain, certain religious rites like, like we do in our Jewish tradition. Like the rite of circumcision. And they began to teach... Jesus plus. And, and I, I think I can understand how that could infiltrate the early church because Jesus is Jewish and the early church was Jewish and the gospel is to the Jew first. And so it began to creep into the church, this, this message of Jesus plus. Jesus plus a diet. Jesus plus a religious rite. But we know this, the gospel is what? Jesus plus nothing. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing. In Jesus, the scripture tells us, your sins are forgiven. In Jesus, you have eternal life. You don't have to try harder. You don't have to work harder. God loves you and God sent his son to die for you and to die for your sin so that Nothing would stand in the way of your relationship with your creator and you. Jesus made the way. The price is paid. The Bible tells us. We know this about the cross. The work is complete. It is finished. And what matters is this. Is that you and I be found in Jesus. And and that happens with one act that kind of has two parts. You know in repentance I turn from sin. And in faith I turn to Jesus. Repentance from sin. And faith in Jesus. And and I'm found in Jesus. But Acts chapter 15 tells us that the message of Jesus plus had crept into the church. And so in Acts 15 the apostles gathered in Jerusalem. They got together. They formed a council. Your Bible will call it the Jerusalem Council. And they began to discuss this issue that was infiltrating all of these new churches. And this work that they had been doing. Paul and Barnabas were there. And the purity of the gospel, the good news of Jesus was at stake. Its purity was at stake. And Peter and John and the crew got together and they discussed it. And they said, no. No. The message of the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. These people who are turning to Jesus through our ministry, Gentiles and Jews, they don't need to add anything. They just need to surrender to Jesus. Salvation is through him. From first to last and really like this is like the watershed moment of of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 15 where they said no it's Jesus plus nothing. So the apostles do this. They draft up this letter and they sign their names to it and they say this. We want this letter shared with all the churches that the message of the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. It's in Christ alone our hope is found as we so often sing. And this is what Paul and Barnabas had taught. And so they were excited. You know, they come, they come and they, they sense that, that this message that they had been preaching was like in danger. And yet here the apostles are, the, the 12, and they stand up for the message of Jesus and the gospel. And so Paul and, and Barnabas get jacked and they decide this. Man, let's go and turn all the churches, man. Let's go to all these places that we've visited, these cities where we've been preaching Jesus. Let's go back and see these people. Let's share with them this letter, and let's see that the church is strengthened. And so the two of them decide, yeah, we're on. This is, it's game. Let's go. And so they begin to plan. And what happens is this, Acts chapter 15 tells us at the end that, that as they were gearing up to go, a dispute developed between the two of them, Paul, Paul and Barnabas, because... Barnabas wanted to bring his nephew with them, John Mark. And they had brought John Mark on the previous trip. And when things had got tough, and when the going had got hard as they were just, you know, pushing against lots of things and feeling spiritual warfare as they they preached Jesus, young John Mark was not mature enough for the rigors of what was going on. And he packed his bags and he deserted the two of them. And on some level this experience had left this sour taste in the mouth of, of Paul. And so when Uncle Barnabas suggested let's bring along, you know, nephew John Mark. Paul would have none of it. He, he wasn't going to participate in that. And so the Bible actually tells us that the dispute between the two of them got so sharp that they decided that they would go in separate directions. And so Barnabas took his nephew John Mark, they got on a boat, and they sailed off to Cyprus with a copy of the letter. Paul grabbed another young fellow by the name of Silas and partnered up with him, and him and Silas turned, and they went north from Jerusalem. They went through Syria. They went along the coast of the Mediterranean into modern-day Turkey, and then they made their way into the center, the heart of Turkey, and as we... as we. Uh, come to this part of the story. They, they come to the city of Lystra where they connect with the family of a young man by the name of Timothy. And you know Timothy from the scripture. Timothy and his mother and his grandmother had come to faith in Jesus. Their story is told in Acts chapter 14. And, and now this young man joins Paul and Silas, this traveling band of three, Timothy, Paul, and Silas. And they head off uh, church planting, gospel preaching, and sharing Jesus and this letter from the apostles. And we pick it up in Acts chapter 16, verse 6. And so let's, let's read this. It says this. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they came up to Mycenae, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So this is kind of crazy as we read this. You know, here they are. They're, they're, in, this, they're in the center of Turkey. And Paul decides we're going to turn west and we're going to go into the province of Asia. But the scripture just tells us the spirit of God forbid him. It doesn't tell us what happened, how he did that, what it was. But it was like closed door. So Paul begins to head, head north. And as he heads north, he gets close to the peninsula where Istanbul is, by the Black Sea, between the Black Sea and the Aegean or whatever that little body of water is there. And um, it's that land between two waters. I think it's typically called Sechelt. But no, that's the proper name. No, where Istanbul is, that peninsula. And as they're approaching that peninsula, somehow again, they are stopped, the scripture says, by the spirit of Jesus who would not allow them to go in that direction. You know it's interesting to consider this right. That, that, that when the Holy Spirit just closes doors for us. Have you had that happen? When God just closes a door in your face. And I, I don't know how he did it for Paul. And Acts doesn't tell us exactly what that looked like. But I can imagine on some levels Paul thought we'll go this way. No we'll go this way. And the Lord says no and no. That there was this sense of like man what the heck's going on here. What's God doing? Where is God leading? You know, I bet there was some discouragement. I bet there was some disappointment. Because things seemed like in a lot of ways they were going okay up until this point in time. And you and I can understand this because sometimes we wonder where God's leading us, right? We wonder what direction is God taking me in. Maybe we think things are headed in one direction and before we know it, the Lord says, No, we're not going in that direction. And it's like you run into a wall. You know, spiritually speaking, no matter what you try to do to navigate it, to get around it, this obstacle of a closed door is there in front of you and you just feel like you're in a battle and like you're literally pushing against a closed door until that aha moment happens. And you're like, oh, maybe God is closing this door. Maybe this is the leading of the Holy Spirit. He's forbidden my life to go in this direction. And this is where it's, it's, it's a good thing in prayer to ask God, you know, by his spirit to open doors for us to close doors. You ever pray that? I pray that often. Lord, open the door. Close the door. I want, I want to be in the center of your will. You open the door or you close the door and use that as a means of directing my, my life, Lord. And it's kind of comforting, you know, as I think about this, as I, as I think, it, and I read this story, to me it's comforting to know that even Paul wasn't always clear the great apostle Paul, didn't always know where the Holy Spirit was leading and how God was directing and he hit closed doors. And so, you know, I would say this to you and I, that that when you're not sure, you know, when you're looking for direction and you're testing doors, so to speak, ask God, close them or open them, Lord. And in that search for For direction, you know, the the first reference is always the word of God. You know, God will never open a door that stands in opposition to his word, to the clear instruction and teaching of his word. You know, if the word gives gives a directive and yet there appears to be in front of you an open door, well then the instruction of the word trumps the appearance of the open door. Does that make sense? And so the open door must line up with the word of God. And so Paul runs into these closed doors. And it's somewhere at this point, Acts doesn't tell us, but it's somewhere at this point where a fourth man joins the team. It's Luke. When we read what we just read there, the, the pronouns actually change for the first time in the book of Acts. It's just kind of interesting. You might even want to write it in the, in the reference of your Bible. But, but Luke wrote the book of Acts, and all of a sudden the pronouns changed from here on in from they to we. And so Luke, here's Luke. Luke's on the team now. Luke's joined the team. He's got another man with him. And since Luke was a doctor, I, I just sometimes wonder when I consider this, you know, maybe God used a health issue to direct Paul that all of a sudden now he needs a doctor on the team. You know, he, he needed a doctor on the ministry team all of a sudden, and God can direct our lives. We know this. And one of the ways sometimes he directs us is even through what's going on in our bodies. Through health issues. And so forbidden by the Holy Spirit, it, it became clear why the Holy Spirit was closing doors when, God, when Paul had a vision and God spoke to him in the night and he opened another. And I just think, wow, it's so beautiful how God works that way. He closes one door, closes another door, but then he opens one wide and he gives direction to his servants. And through a vision in the night, the Spirit of God directed Paul to the province. Of, of Macedonia. Now to me, that's, this is a picture of Paul. He is literally a man who is walking with the Holy Spirit. You know, as We consider some of where the church is just, where we've been as a church lately. This is a man who's walking in the Spirit. Joel chapter two, your old man will dream dreams and have visions. And here's Paul. God is directing him through a vision. And somehow God communicated to Paul two closed doors, but then in this dream, he revealed to him the opening of another. And it's Macedonia. Now, the most prominent city in the province of Macedonia was Philippi. It was a unique city. Unique in this sense that it's, that it's a Gentile city. It's, it's in the northeastern area, right at the top of the Aegean Sea, northeastern area of, of modern Greece today. And it was a, a city, though it was Gentile, it had been colonized by the Romans. And it was a popular place actually for retired Roman soldiers. It was like, hey man, when you want to you know, kick it back, you like, it's like moving to the Sunshine Coast. It's like rocking chair life in Philippi, okay? Not quite. But Roman soldiers would settle into the rocking chair there. And it, and it was this place of political power for the Romans in that region. Acts chapter 16 actually says to us, it was a leading city of the area colonized by Rome you know as I think about you and I us the church the reality is too is that you and I have been colonized so to speak we're citizens of heaven we we have come under the rule of a king King Jesus of his government and of his peace the scripture says there shall be no end that's the government of our lives the government of King Jesus and as part of the colonization of our lives, we make a profession with our lips. We make a, a confession to the one who has conquered our hearts. Jesus conquered my heart. Therefore, my lips make a profession. That's what the Bible actually says has to happen, that I believe in my heart, and then I confess it with my mouth. What do we confess? What's our profession? What is it? Jesus is Lord. Can we say that? Jesus is Lord. Come on, loud. Jesus is Lord. That's a, that's a profession, a confession of the colonization of our lives, that we're conquered, that we're citizens of a king and, and of his kingdom. And so our lives are surrendered. We, we've been colonized by our rulers, citizens of heaven, like I said. The Bible says we're strangers, that we're aliens in this world, and we're aliens to the culture. Of this world and its value system. Because we bow the knee of our hearts to the king of kings. And to the Lord of lords. Who the scripture says sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And yet who graciously comes and he makes our lives. Our bodies his temple and he dwells in us. And he saved us. He saved us from the enemy of our souls. And we live Forever because he lives forever. And so we make the confession. Jesus is Lord. Now the city of Philippi had been colonized. And they had a profession that the people. As a leading city. The people of that city had to make a certain profession. With their lips. Citizens of Rome. And the Philippians confession was this. Caesar is Lord. That's what that city proclaimed. That's what they said. That's what their hearts believed and their mouths confessed. Caesar is Lord. And you know, when you think about Caesar's kingdom versus in contrast to the kingdom of Jesus, well, you know, Caesar's kingdom used force, used coercion, used social pressure. You know, there was threats that you would Lose your life if you didn't bow the knee to, to Caesar if you did not con, conform to Rome and Caesar lorded over his subjects, you know? You feel pressure on social media today? Imagine Twitter and Facebook back then, right? <laughs> Shame and the way that they controlled culture and, and the Philippians made this confession. They said, Caesar is Lord. Now the kingdom of Jesus is different. The kingdom of heaven. It's totally contrary to the kingdom of Caesar. See Jesus' kingdom is not based on coercion. It's based on love. Not, Not based on forcing anyone to do anything. It's based on the grace of God. On servanthood. Our king laid down his life. For his subjects. And Jesus does not use coercion. He says this. Whosoever will, let him come. The scripture tells us God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. He didn't take. He didn't demand. He doesn't overpower. He doesn't threaten. He doesn't use tactics of manipulation or social pressure. Now, what did he do? He stretched out his arms on a cross and he displayed his love for us. And he said, I, I give my life for you. And if you'll come and give your life to me, then you'll live forever with me in my kingdom. That's our King. And obviously, those who followed Jesus rejected the lordship of, of Caesar. And instead, they freely confessed, not under coercion, they freely confessed Jesus is Lord. Look, when I say that from my lips this morning, When you say that, don't don't say it because anyone coerced you. You say it because it's the conviction of your heart. Jesus is Lord. And you know, this is really why, you know, eventually the Roman Empire had to, you know, in their minds, had to kill so many Christians and martyr them and, and persecute them because they refused to profess Caesar is Lord. And instead, they proclaimed another kingdom. They proclaimed an empire that was greater than that of Rome. Pax Romana is the lie of history. There's no Pax Romana at the end of a sword. And so these subjects of Jesus' kingdom said, Jesus is Lord. And the head of Rome had to rise against it. And so let's imagine this situation for a little bit. Here's Paul, closed door. Forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not allow them in. And then God does this. Paul, open door. That's a beautiful thing when God opens the door. This wasn't Paul's first rodeo. You know, not his first missionary journey. This was an open door for new territory for the kingdom of heaven. This was the first time that the gospel, this is what we sometimes miss when we just read it in Acts and we don't see it. This was the first time into the heart of a Roman colony. This is King Jesus on the march for his glory and for his name. And Jesus said this, he said, I I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And when Jesus told his disciples those words, he he expressed in in the original language, the original language expresses the idea that his disciples would not be doing ministry and preaching Jesus while on the defense, using the sports analogy, but that the kingdom and the ministry of the kingdom was to be on the offense. They were going to plunder the gates of hell. They were going to go right to the gates of hell and snatch those who were lost. And so, you know, as we read this and as we consider the book of Acts and what's going on, I'm going to tell you this. Philippi was the big leagues, man. This is no minor ball anymore, no minor hockey. God said, no, close door, close door. Boys, it's time. It's big league time. My gospel and the message is Jesus plus nothing, and you guys got it. Now we're going into the heart of the Roman Empire. We're going to Philippi. And so what happened? Well, Acts chapter 16 tells us about the first conversion. Lydia, I'm gonna, I'm not, we're not going to read it all over this morning, so I encourage you to go home and read it. But I'll tell you this. In, a, in any city, the instruction for the Jewish people was this. They could not form a synagogue and a body of believers unless they had 10 Jewish men. And so as Paul comes into this city, his first move was always this. He would go looking for the synagogue, right? He would go looking for the Jewish people who already knew the scriptures, so that he could preach Jesus to them. But as he comes to this city, there isn't even a synagogue. This is a Roman colony. There's not 10 Jewish men there. So they hang around the city for a few days. And what we read is this, is that, that uh, you know, and I have to think maybe for that, I was thinking about Brian and Phil, you know, planting can and sometimes the discouragement that comes with just, you know, trudging away. And I imagine Paul and the boys had some discouragement here off the, uh, off the hop. But they, what, what we read in Acts chapter 16 is this, is that they, they ventured outside the city gates on the Sabbath. And I guess it was a common thing in that culture was that, that people would gather by the river, believers in God, for a place to pray and so Paul and the guys went out there and they found a, a, a group of women out there and they began to share Jesus with them. And Acts chapter 16 tells us that God opened Lydia's heart. That there was this woman named Lydia. She was a rich businesswoman in the city and her heart was opened. And the Bible tells us that she was a worshiper of God but now the door of her heart was open for her, her to hear the gospel, to, to hear about Jesus. Now, to me, that's an interesting picture, an open heart. An open heart. See, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ is for open hearts, not for closed minds. If you want to know who Jesus is, you have to open your heart to him. And then he will transform your mind. And and we know what the scripture says, like I've quoted, "With, with one's heart we believe and with our mouth we confess. And let me just ask you, Is your heart open? You might might have been sitting here on a Sunday 10 years ago. Maybe following Jesus is new to you. Is your heart open? Is your heart open to Jesus? You know, there are signs that reveal to us whether the heart is open. You You read about Lydia and we see certain things about her as God opened her heart. You know, she was willing to receive the word of God that was taught to her by the servants of God. She was willing with an open heart to confess the name of Jesus. Jesus is Lord. She was, she was you know, another sign of her open heart was her, her love for the fellowship of people, the people of God. You know what she did? Because her heart was open, she opened her home. She said, man, you guys are visiting this city. This is a big city. Come and stay Let me provide for you. Come and stay in my home. And and she invited Paul and Silas and Timothy Luke to stay with her and to eat at her home and she provided for them so they could do ministry. I would say this willingness to share personal resources for kingdom work, man, that's signs of an open heart. This Lydia, she received the word. She received the servants of God. She confessed Jesus. She was willing to share what she had. She had an open heart. And let me tell you something about having an open heart. An open heart will open doors. An open heart to Jesus will open doors for ministry. You know, it's interesting. We've been talking about open doors and Paul facing closed doors and then an open door. Let me ask you, is your heart open to the leading of the Holy Spirit? Because an open heart will allow him to open doors for ministry. And Paul was led to an open door through a vision in the night. And so, you know, I would just say to you, as us, as followers of Jesus, to our uh, to our body that is here, you know, we need to beware of being disobedient to what God is calling. We need to be aware of being disobedient to the doors that He's opening. We need to be aware of being disobedient to any, you know, heavenly vision or dream that God's given us that would lead us into, you know, new realms of serving Jesus and new spheres of ministry and into deeper waters with him. We want to have open hearts towards Jesus and towards the leading of the Spirit. And Paul had an open heart. Paul had an open heart and he stepped through an open door and guess where God led him? God led him to someone else with an open heart so he could share Jesus. Open heart, open door. Open heart. The kingdom grows. And so Lydia was the first convert. And, and she was a, a wealthy businesswoman in the city. And she brought Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke into her home. And she provided for the ministry while they were there in Philippi. Now, that, that seems like nothing. But if you stop and think about it, it's, it's miraculous provision for these servants of God. Think about it. Heavenly provision for a ministry team. They're totally trying to navigate their way through a new city and preach the gospels and they had open hearts and God opened a door and he led them to a person with an open heart that would provide for the ministry team. Now Acts chapter 16 tells us it was somewhere in that, that whole time in that whole season that, that uh, a slave girl began to follow Paul around. And this slave girl was possessed by an evil spirit the scripture said she had a spirit of divination and her masters would use this spirit that was in her to to tell people's fortunes and they would rake in the finances off off this this young girl they, they were exploiting her and making a fortune off her and so she began to follow Paul around and the team and she began saying these men are servants of the most high god and I'm sure it was like Nice for the first time or something like that, a little bit of recognition. But then after that, it just got to be this annoying thing as these guys were cruising around and sharing Jesus with people. And so finally, in his annoyance with this distraction, Paul turned to this girl and to this, to this uh, spirit, and he said, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And the spirit came out, and she was free. The problem was this, that the masters had lost their source of income. And so when they realized what had gone on, they did this. They, they seized specifically Paul and Silas. Luke and Timothy got away. They seized Paul and Silas. They, they stirred up the city. They dragged these two men into the marketplace where they tore their clothes off them. And then they beat them. The scripture says that they beat them with rods and they gave them a severe whooping. It says they, they were beat with severe blows. And then after they had a pound pounded them and inflicted these blows on them, they threw them into the prison, the, the jail cell there in Philippi for inciting trouble in the city because they set a demon-possessed girl free. And the jailer was told this, you, you keep these men safely and don't let them get away because we're going to deal with them. And so the jailer put them into the innermost part of the cell there in Philippi. And they, there they were, they were shackled and their, their feet were fastened in the stocks. And now for this jailer, as a Roman jailer, he was responsible for these prisoners. You remember what we know about culture and history with the tomb of Jesus and the guards that were in front of uh, the tomb, that if the seal on the tomb was broken, those guards paid with their lives. They got away because the Pharisees slipped money to buy off that whole situation. But here, this, this jailer's in the same situation. If these prisoners should escape, then he's gonna pay with his life. And so Paul and Silas are tossed into this jail, and it's crazy. Now again, we think about this. We go, God opened the door for ministry. The Spirit led Paul and the team to Philippi, and where are they led now? Into prison, into a jail cell. The Lord took Paul and Silas, really I would say this, if we read it rightly, the Lord took Paul and Silas to those who were sitting in the deepest of darkness, in the shadow of death. The Spirit led Paul and Silas through circumstance to those who were prisoners. Prisoners in more ways than one. The demon-possessed girl was a prisoner. She got set free. Now Paul was led to more prisoners right there in the jail cell. And in the the prison cell, Paul and Silas were there themselves. They had bleeding backs. You know, they had aching limbs and arms and they're bruised and, and they're beaten. But look at me with Acts chapter 16, verse 25. It says this about midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prisons were of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened now that's awesome like we read this like Like, man, we can't just skim over that, can we? This is an incredible story. They're in the heart of a prison. They're worshiping God. At midnight, God just shakes the foundations of that prison. The the shackles fall off, and what happens to the doors? The doors open. Every door opens, it tells us. Every door I mean, the Lord took Paul and Silas to those sitting in the deepest darkness in the shadow of of death and they're praising God. God miraculously works. There's this earthquake and we read that the prison doors opened and all the shackles fell off. I just love that. I love this picture that's for us in Acts chapter 16. And I think about these guys, you know, like, boy, I bet there's people come out of prison they've been locked up for a while and they sing when they come out. Because anyone can sing when you escape prison. These men sang in prison. And I just think, you know, only the grace of God could make an individual sing under such circumstances. These, these men sensed that they were in the center of God's will. And the prisoners heard them as they worshiped Jesus. And and. You read this and you have to recognize this is why God allowed all this to happen. This whole circumstance so that that these prisoners in in chains and in bondage and locked up would hear these men praising God. and, And as they did, everyone's chains were loosened. That's the picture. The chains were loosened like the demon possessed girl. The chains were loosened more than just physical chains. Spiritual chains. Open doors led to what? Open hearts and chains loosened. Let's read on. Acts chapter 16 verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's the best right there, eh? It's like, wow, that doesn't get any easier, evangelist. What must I do to be saved? Okay. Verse 31. And they said, change your diet and get circumcised and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. No, no. They're not going to corrupt the gospel. What do they say? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and his family. Then he brought them up into his house and he set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. is that great? is just the most amazing story? I love that it says he called for light. He called for light. You know, if you're in darkness, just call to Jesus. Jesus, I need light. I need your light in my life. And you know, these It's just this amazing story, and and I I think, you know, know, I was reading as I was studying, and and I just thought this was so true, that that healings and miracles in the New Testament are usually, usually associated with evangelism. You know, the healing ministry of the New Testament was not to keep Christians fit, but it was to demonstrate the power of the gospel. And so, you know, I, I would just encourage you, man, as the Lord leads you into situations to share Jesus, man, be bold. Pray for people. Pray for miracles. Pray for, pray for healings. Now turn with me back to Philippians chapter 1. We'll wrap it up pretty quick here. The man gets saved. So we got Lydia. We got a demon-possessed girl who's set free. We don't know her story. We got a Roman prison guard and his entire family to have come to faith in Jesus. The church has begun in Philippi. Jesus is taking ground in the enemy's territory. And look what it says in verse 3. Now with all this in mind, we can hear why Paul is saying this. Verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Why? Why? Because Philippi was miracles for Paul. It was open doors. It was the leading of the spirit. It was people getting saved. It was miracles, earthquakes, and singing in prison, and the whole deal. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Doesn't it make sense now? It makes sense now. Why did Paul remember with joy every time he thought of the Philippians? Because he remembered how the Spirit had led him. He remembered what it was like to step through an open door when God opened it. Open doors into one of the greatest centers of the Roman Empire. And open doors led to open hearts. Philippi reminded him of God's provision. Philippi reminded him of prison and of praising God. And he says this. He says that in verse 6 is great, one, probably one of the greatest verses in Philippians. And I'm sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Completion. Isn't that great work? It will be finished, like Jesus said. Remember when Jesus sat on the cross? He said, It is finished. One day with you, he's going to say, I am finished. Not in a bad way, (laughs) in a good way. I've completed my work. Now come, be in my presence. And it's interesting that, that when, we consider, when we consider Paul, like I said, Philippi for him was a place of prison and it was a place of praise. He had gone from prison to prison. Where is Paul sitting while he writes this letter to the Philippians? He's sitting in Rome. He's sitting in stockades with a Roman soldier sitting right beside him. It's funny how 10 years can go by and you find yourself in the exact same spot you were 10 years ago. That was Paul, sitting in another prison cell. And we read about that in Acts chapter uh, 21 through 28, that he had gone through a legal nightmare, man. Held in prison here, traveling to Rome, you know, making his appeal to Caesar, being shipwrecked, you know, under prison guard here and as a prisoner here. And finally, God had led him to Rome. And there he is in Rome now as he pens this letter and he's chained to a guard He's awaiting trial, and and this time the Lord has led him where? To the true heart of the Roman Empire. To the true heart, to Rome. And this time, where's he going to preach the gospel? Well, history tells us he preached the gospel before Caesar. Before Caesar, and, and as he sits and pens this letter, what he doesn't know is will Caesar befriend him or behead him? Was the latter. And I just think about this, you know, here's Paul. He could be writing this, you know, depressing, discouraged letter to the church in Philippi, but in spite of his circumstances, Paul had joy. He said this. I know God's gonna complete his work in you. I think about you, and my, my heart is is full of joy. I think I think that actually his joy was not based on how he felt, but his joy was based on how he thought he had the mind of Christ. And he's going to call this church to have the mind of Christ. You know, it's been said, God can change your heart, but he won't change your mind. But if you'll change your mind, he'll change your heart. Change your mind and he will change your heart. And so here it is, this Philippian letter 10 years has passed, and it's just amazing, like I said, to consider what God does over a period of 10 years and how he works in the heart of his people. And here these believers are, they're they're Christians, they're following Jesus, I'm sure, in Philippi, just like life in Gibsons, sometimes mundane and humdrum. Or sometimes they were just like pressed under the pressure of life, paying a mortgage and feeding a family and trying to live for Jesus in the midst of it, and they had responsibilities. But in the midst of all that, Paul's gonna say to these guys, man, when I think about you, I I have joy in my heart, and I'm gonna encourage you, have the mind of Christ and let people detect the joy of God in your life. That's what he's gonna tell this church. See, joy comes through having a mindset on Jesus in the midst of whatever life brings. And, you know, many in our culture are just totally obsessed with the pursuit of happiness, you know. Happiness and joy are two different things, aren't they? And, and you know, many don't find in this life what they're looking for. And, and the problem is really this. They're, they're, they're searching for happiness instead of being found in Jesus and having the mind of Christ. You know, I get the impression of well, Paul as he's, As he's sitting there chained to a Roman soldier, he was not seeking happiness. What was he doing? He was seeking Jesus and God brought him joy because it was a spiritual joy. It was something from heaven. And so he says to this church as he encourages them, just as he opens up, I'm sure of this. I am sure of this. I'm sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. There's Paul. He's arrested. You know, when God arrests a man, when he arrests a woman, he wants all of you. He wants your whole life. He wants the whole person, the whole man, the whole woman. Where's your joy? Is your mindset on Christ? Look, if you open your heart, he will open doors and he will lead you to open hearts, amen.